Welcome back to Carlisle's Insights and Indicators podcast with our head of global research, Jason Thomas. I'm Jonathan Blank in communications, and I'm sitting down with Jason today to help you gain concise insights based on our composite portfolio data from May, 2022. All of the data referenced is accurate as of our recording on June 6, 2022. Jason, thanks for being here again. Great to be sitting down with you again. So from our composite portfolio data in May, we observed more indicators of economic contraction than we did last month. What drove more of our indicators into negative territory uh, this month over last? Well, the main driver of the increase in the series that we're contracting uh, was really Europe. And the European economy is now uh, contracting according to our May data. And this is really largely because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the related sanctions. The impact on food prices, the impact on fuel prices, the impact on energy prices more broadly has been much greater in Europe than in the United States. So the uh, economic damage has also been proportionally greater. And, and so when we look at the circumstance right now in Europe, I would say, first of all, it's really at the corporate sector, and particularly the industrial sector, where the damage is, is quite severe because the increase in uh, natural gas prices, for example, and, and just broader input prices is so dramatic. It's rendered some industrial processes uneconomic, and it's really narrowed margins for many other entities. And then, of course, at the household sector, you have not only food and fuel prices that eat into disposable income, but you also have this psychological shock, the shock to confidence from, from the war in Ukraine, and, and given how close Ukraine is both geographically but, but also mentally. And, and so for those reasons, that is the, the main driver of the increase, again, in, in the number of um, series that we track or replicate that are actually contracting. But of course, the biggest contraction that's occurring today is in China. And so in the three months starting in March and through May, it looks as though the Chinese economy contracted at about a 9% annualized rate. And, and that's because of the zero COVID policy and the lockdowns that have affected about 70 metro areas. Now, it looks clear that the bottom was reached in April, but, but the, the economy continued to contract in, in May. I think there are some hopeful signs now of reopening in many metro areas. And if the past is prologue, one would expect the Chinese economy to be growing at a 10 to 12% annualized rate in two months or so. That, that was the experience in 2020 after the January, February lockdowns. So, you know, there's some, some genuine reasons for hope there. And, you know, I, I certainly share them. Again, I, I, that's my expectation is, is for rapid makeup growth in the months ahead. But what we saw in 2020 was that households, consumers tend to be very cautious in the immediate aftermath of the lifting of restrictions. So don't be surprised if, if June data, July data aren't so strong but then by August, September, and then into October, you have really robust data coming out of China. That, that, that at least is my expectation. Thanks, Jason. Now, some of our listeners may think to themselves, based on what you described as the contraction in Europe, that there might be increasing risks of either a short-term or long-term of us heading into a recession. Is that accurate? Um, how would you describe your take on the short-term and longer-term risks of us heading into recession? Well, you know, I, th I think that there are two big takeaways from the data this month. The first, as, as you suggested, 
was the fact that we just saw more contraction, more of the series we replicate, more of the macroeconomic time series we replicate showed signs of contraction. And, and that was disappointing, of course. But on the other side of the ledger, what we saw were some real signs that the likelihood of a soft landing actually has increased. And a soft landing is, is really just in relation to the Fed. You know, m- many people say the Fed has never reduced inflation by 400 basis points in the past without triggering a recession. So therefore, we're guaranteed for a recession in the United States. <laughs> and, you know, I, th- I think that analysis is, is rather simplistic. It certainly covers a lot of time periods when most of the um, business cycle fluctuations were attributable to inventories. And, and that were during times when we didn't have things like barcodes or inventory management software. So, you know, j- just to, to use the past, uh, I, I'm not sure it has the external validity uh, that people suspect. But but at any rate, that is generally the argument. So can, can the Fed actually engineer a soft landing? Well, th- the big question really relates to whether there is this change in consumer behavior away from goods, away from durable goods, away from all the, the things that really boomed during the pandemic when people stayed at home and spent at home, and whether there's normalization and rotation back into services, into experiences, travel, tourism, live events, dining out, et cetera. That, that is absolutely necessary to, to have a, uh, a, a decline in inflation without uh, actually experiencing a contraction. And, and I think we saw quite a lot of that in May. So hotel bookings, for example, are now running well above their 20-year moving average. Uh, there was a 3.5% increase month over month in passenger emplanements. So people are traveling. People are getting on airplanes. Uh, we have a lot of measures of foot traffic at airports, at, at other places, and, and they all showed signs of very significant increases. So what, what I was most encouraged about in, in May was really just this move from the, the household sector, the consumers, into travel, tourism, live event services in such a way that that actually reduces the pressure, uh, upward pressure on, uh, on, on inflation, which, which had been mostly a goods phenomenon. At the same time, we saw continued growth in the output of the industrial sector. So thus far, through five months of the year, Industrial output has grown at about an eight and a half percent annualized rate, and and that is because of the need to rebuild inventories. Not only inventories of finished goods, you can think of it as cars on dealer lots, but also inventories of intermediate goods, components, parts, semiconductors, all of the the things that go into other things uh, that that were effectively liquidated during the pandemic. So, you know, overall, I'm somewhat encouraged by the May data because I think that, as, as we've said previously, this shift back to experiences was a necessary condition to get inflation under control. And, and it seems to be happening. And, and if that natural process of normalizing spending patterns, you know, household spending looking more like 2019 than 2020 brings inflation down then it doesn't have to require as many rate hikes. The reduction in inflation doesn't have to be as Fed-inflected as as would otherwise be the case. And that actually raises the probability that you can have your cake and eat it too, in that you can have 
a deceleration in price pressures and, and a deceleration in inflation at the same time that that you yeah you end up with two percent growth or so in the United States, but but it, you're still growing. You know that that it does not necessitate uh, a contraction. Jason, so let's leave our listeners with one thing that you're going to be looking out for over the next couple of months. You know, you've given us your overview of Europe, of China, and the relative consumption between industrial goods and experiences. What's one thing you're going to be looking out for over the next couple of months? Well, I think that the changed circumstances in Europe are going to lead to changed circumstances in policy at the ECB. And, and what I mean by that is a lot of market participants anticipate that the ECB is going to have to raise rates, certainly not at a rate that's commensurate with the Fed, but, but is going to have to continually raise rates into 2023. And I suspect that instead, given some of the, the economic weakness, that they're going to raise rates twice, get essentially the overnight rate back to zero uh, by September, and then really pause. And so I do expect there to be somewhat easier financial conditions in Europe. And, and so, uh, again, I, I think that there is perhaps not yet the uh, appreciation uh, among market participants for, for how dramatic the ECB shift to, you know, essentially neutral, how quickly that's going to occur as a result of, again, some weaker real data. Well, Jason, I think all of us feel a little more uh, hopeful and positive uh, based on based on this conversation for a, a soft landing. Um, so thank you for your time today and really look forward to talking next month. Thanks again.